series in Exodus. Actually, it's the Exodus, and it's more than just the book of Exodus. We're actually following a story through the Old Testament, and it's a story that we are to find ourselves in. It's a story that is really an example of our own lives as we follow the story of the people of God through the Old Testament. And I know, interestingly, during this series, we are also dealing with a lot of conflict in the Middle East. Now, there's never been a time, I don't think, where there hasn't been some type of conflict in the Middle East. It's a place where there's been contentiousness for, for centuries. And I know during this series, our hearts and our minds are also being taken there by the news and the struggles and the battles that are there. And so I just want to take a moment as we begin today to just pray uh, specifically for what we see happening in our world, not only there, but in different places as well, and just ask uh, for God's peace in that place. So let's bow and let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, our hearts and our thoughts and our emotions and our prayers, God, have been with the people in the Middle East that are going through incredible turmoil right now as we think about the battles that are going on, the war, the fighting, the bloodshed. It is um, hard to see and to imagine the pain that is there, the terror, the war. God, it's just, um, it's ugly to see. And I know it breaks your heart. And Father, we just pray for peace. God, we pray for civility. We pray for hearts transformed, hearts that would know love and and Father, for these situations to be resolved as, as they seem bigger than anyone can solve. But Lord, we know that your peace and your presence is there, not only in the Middle East, but God, also in Eastern Europe and in different places that we don't even hear about, but where there is difficulty. And so, Lord, we just pray for the peace. We pray for Israel. God, we pray for those in the Gaza Strip. We pray for those fighting in Ukraine. We pray for those in Russia all over, God, that are struggling and dealing with these difficult situations. And so, God, we commit our time to you now as we enter the story that has been told throughout generations, God, a story of your people and of your work in this world. And so we commit ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in the story that, as we began a few weeks ago in part one, captive, that really the people of God begin captive. It's 430 years of slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh's rule, and they've become slaves. They've lost some of their identity trying to understand who they are. They've lived in, with this promise of a promised land for 430 years. Imagine how long that is. That someday you're going to have your own land, you're going to have your own place, but for just generation upon generation, you don't realize that dream. And they found themselves captive in this place. And what we understand during that time is the cry for help. And what we talked about on that first week is just when that cry comes, when we acknowledge before God our captivity, whether it's in some physical manner or whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, some ways where we are captive, when we cry out to God, we are reminded that God hears our cry and that he comes to rescue. And then week two, we talked about rescue and the rescue that's coming. And if you're in a situation where you need rescue, to be reminded that even if you don't see it, even if you don't feel it, God is there. He's preparing rescue. He prepared Moses for 80 years to come and to be the deliverer for his people. And through God's powerful hand working through Moses, and we saw the incredible power of God through the 10 plagues, as we talked about last week, eventually coming to the point where Pharaoh didn't just say, you know, you can't let the people go. He's like, go, leave, <laughs> I can't take any more of this. And he sends them out, and God sent his deliverance to the people, uh, to his people. And so we ended last week as they were captive, but now they were heading out of, of captivity. 
And they were making their way. They're finally free, ready to head to the promised land. And today, I want to talk about that first taste of freedom. What does it mean to be free in part three? And I want to look at two things today. I want to talk about breaking free and living free. Two different aspects, two different parts about being free and living free and having that is we've got to break free and we need to live free. Now, it's been a story that you've probably heard about. It's already 20 years ago that this happened, where a man named Aaron Ralston was out hiking Blue John Canyon in, in Utah. And he actually wrote a book about this. A, book, a story was made about uh, this, this situation called Between a Rock and a Hard Place in a movie, 127 Hours. Aaron is a guy who loved to just enjoy being out and was kind of an independent guy. And he decided one day he just wanted to go hike some of the canyons that are, are in Utah, beautiful places to go. And so he went out. He didn't tell anyone where he was going, just something he did on his own. Had, his, uh, you know, had some water, had some snacks for the day, and he was going to return later that night. He's out and he's hiking. He sees some other hikers. He spends some time with them. And, and then they go on and he just goes off on his own. Again, nobody knew where he was. And he started exploring these deep slot canyons uh, where you have to, these narrow crevices and, and you have to rappel down. And there's just hundreds of them all over the place. And he goes down one of them and tragedy strikes. Difficulty strikes. And all of a sudden he, he falls. And as he's falling and gets trapped somewhere, a boulder follows with him and, and smashes his hand and traps him where he cannot break free. Stuck 60-some feet down, I believe, inside one of these slot canyons. Nobody knows where he is. Try as he may, he cannot free himself. He's trying and trying. He's using any ropes, any gears that he, gear that he has to try to move the rock. Nothing. He's got a little multi-tool, and he's trying to chip away, trying to loosen the rock, and it just dulls the knife. And the first evening hits, and he's just stuck. And he begins to start rationing his food, realizing this could be a problem. How do you get out? And hours turn into days, multiple days. He starts just thinking about his life. He's actually recording video about what's going to happen, you know, just sending messages to family and friends. He's, he's reflecting on things. He's some, at times, he's beginning to hallucinate. As the days go, as the water ration is gone, the food's there, he's trying to free himself. He cannot get out. Until on the sixth day, he finally makes the brutal decision that he's got to break his arm and he's got to actually use whatever he's got left from the knife that he has to cut him, his arm off. And it's gruesome. And, through, and he had a tourniquet around his, his arm fashioned from his hydration pack and he actually freed himself, found his way out of the canyon and hiked to a place where he was ultimately freed. And it's an incredible, incredible story. And quite literally... He had to break himself free in order to find freedom, in order to live free. And it's a story of incredible human courage and will. I don't know if any of us would have been able to do that or to go through that, but an amazing story. Because there's this desire in all of us. We don't want to die. We want to live. We want to experience what life can be. We don't want to be stuck. We don't want to be in a place where we can't get out. And he found himself unable to go forward, to go backward, just simply stuck. And so what we see here with the people of God is they're getting ready to go into freedom, but they're about to find themselves between a rock and a hard place too. So I want you to think about this, this day where the Israelites are leaving um, their captivity. I mean, what a day of celebration. Can you imagine 400-some years? I mean, you've heard about this forever, the, the story of the promised land, and this is the day where it happens. This is the day you finally go, and, and the Bible tells us there were 6,000 men of, of, uh, of, of adult age, fighting age, 
and then women and children. I saw a massive crowd of people leaving, and not just them, but their, their wagons and goods and livestock, whatever they could bring with them, all leaving Egypt. And Pharaoh saying, go, just leave me in peace. And they make their way out. And I'm sure they were, there was tons of excitement and celebration and anticipation. I'm sure there was some fear of the unknown, what would happen there. What about that promised land? I'm sure it hasn't just been sitting empty for 430 years. What do we do when we get there? We were slaves. We're not ready to fight. We don't know. Lots of things going on. But they're leaving, and they're excited, and and they're heading out, and they're finally tasting freedom. (laughs) Imagine leaving jail. Imagine leaving prison your whole life, and all of a sudden, the, the doors are open, and here's the world. Go. And their promise was to go to the promised land. So where where do they want to go? The answer is really easy. They wanted to go to the promised land, right? So they wanted to get there. They wanted to go there. So here they go. And we read in Exodus 13, 17 to 18. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Seriously, God? I mean, I read that and I go, are you serious? 430 years, this is the day, and you're not just going to take them straight to the promised land? There's the shortest direct route, and here he's taking them on a roundabout way through the wilderness. He's not going to take them on the shortest route. And we're going, God, what are you doing? And I think we look in our life, and sometimes we get to a point where we see freedom, or we, 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 we have plans, we have goals in our life. And then this not fun sign, detour, shows up. Ever want to go on vacation? You drive somewhere and you're getting ready to head out. You know, you want to go and you're going to have a long trip to Florida or wherever you're going. And all of a sudden, it's like detour. It's like, I don't want to be on detour. I want to get to the beach. That's where I want to go. I want to get there. And how many of us in our life do we understand the older we get, the older I get, I realize the majority of life seems to be lived on detour. I mean, how many of us would say that in our life, things have just been on a straight line on a highway from point A to point B, right? No stop signs, no lights, you know, just every once in a while, I got to refuel, get off and exit and come back, you know, get back on and go. That's how, it has, that's how it's been in your career, right? You've never had any setbacks. Educationally, you've never had any challenge. You've never had any hard teachers. You've never had any tests that you struggled with or anything like that, ever. Your marriage has just been a bliss from the moment you met your spouse and dated through engagement, through marriage. I mean, there's never been a challenge. There's never been a setback. There's nothing. Your kids, perfect from the day they were born till now. Never a challenge. Never a setback. Your health, you have just been the beacon of health from the day you were born till now. You've never had it. Name me an area in your life where if you've lived for any significant amount of time where you have not faced a challenge or setback or detour. And so, so much of life is lived on detour. And we think in our faith in the same way. Is your life in your faith just always up and to the right? From the day I met God, it's just been joy and bubbles and rainbows and unicorns and life and love and and just happiness. No, we face struggles. We have challenges. We face doubts. And even when you've become a follower of Christ, it doesn't instantly mean that your health situation turns around, does it? You might still be battling a health situation. It may come even as a follower of Christ. We experience that our bodies are, are mortal and we face struggle. We might still have challenges in our relationships, in our marriage, or with our kids. You can become a follower of Christ and still have financial struggles as you're working through different things. It's not the one answer to every situation and problem. There's a solution. There's a God. There's a guide. 
but we still wrestle with the challenges of life and the struggles of life, and God was taking them on a different path, and, and he had a reason for that path. He's saying, you're not quite ready yet, but you know what? I'm going to provide for you along the way. Because no sooner were they heading out, and they were already going like, well, what are we going to eat in the desert if we're not going to go straight to the promised land? And God provided manna for them, this flaky bread-like substance that would appear every morning. He was providing for them. And then they got even more jealous and more like upset. Well, what about meat? We want meat. <laughs> I can relate to that, right? you got to have meat. And so, so God provides quail for them. These quail start flying on. This was the first, did you know, drone delivery? I mean, this was like biblically has been around forever. Like all of a sudden, what you ordered? And boom, all these, these quail fly in and they have, they have meat to eat. It's unbelievable. Fresh water flowing from a rock. I mean, God is showing again and again and again just his provision. And his love for them and saying, trust me on this. I'm guiding you in the direction that you need to go. But as they're going, as they're looking, they, they want to be there. They want to be in the promised land. They don't want to be on this detour. But I think there's a lesson to be learned here. And this is the, uh, it's this. The detour doesn't change the destination. It changes you to be ready for the destination. The detour doesn't change the destination. It's what changes you to be ready for it. Sometimes God understands we're not ready yet for what's to come. God understood these people have been slaves for 430 years. If they go up against an army, if they go face a battle, which is what's going to happen, they're not going to be ready. They're going to lose heart, and, and so I need to prepare them. I need to prepare them to understand how to live free. They're not ready yet. They don't know what this means and what this looks like. But God wants to do something in them. The destination hasn't changed. The promised land is still the promise. For you to experience what he has for you in your marriage and in your life, the promises God has for you, they haven't changed, but he's maybe taking you to prepare you in that time, in that season, for what he has for you. One of my favorite Disney, actually probably my favorite Disney Pixar movie is Cars. Ever seen Cars? I mean, as a dad of four girls, I was so excited when Cars came out. We saw so many princess movies and pony movies and all kinds of stuff that when, when, when this movie came out, I was like, yes, like we can play this one again. Play it again. I love it. Cars, fast, racing. I mean, it's a great, it's a great show. And you got Lightning McQueen, uh, you know, as the main, as the main character. And he, is li he lives life on the fast track, doesn't he? I mean, it's, it's always, you know, 200 miles an hour. It's go. It's all on. He's got a dream. He wants to win the Piston Cup. And he wants to get there as fast as he can. And so he's literally driving across the country on, on the highway, right, from point A to point B, and situation changes, things don't go as planned, and he ends up in this town off the beaten path at the highway bypass called Radiator Springs, right? And the whole movie is about, so much of it is about him just trying to get out of Radiator Springs. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this place. I want to get out. I want to experience what's there. Life isn't lived here. I got to get to California. I got to get to the race. The destination, the dream hasn't changed, but what happens in that time changed him. And there were some things, important lessons that he learned about himself and about even his skill and his driving and about friendships and about community. And it's what actually transformed him. And in the end, he does get to where he needs to go. See, God doesn't change your, the promises that he has for you, the goals that he has for you, but he changes us. And so maybe you're at a detour right now and you're upset and you're frustrated and I get it and I've been there. But what's God doing in you? How does he transform you in that time? Don't lose sight of God's promises. Don't get discouraged. Because what we understand is God was guiding them. This wasn't just some kind of like surprise to God. Now, sometimes we get ourselves into some messes that 
that we end up on detour. But here God is guiding them, and it's, it's fully aware of it. And we read in Exodus 13 now how God guided them. It says, The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. I mean, wow, how cool. I'd still like to be led like that, right? Wouldn't you today? Wouldn't be like, all right, God, where do I go? Oh, <laughs> there's the pillar of cloud. It's night, God. Oh, there's the pillar of fire. And it's, I mean, it was obvious, God's presence, God's guiding. We see so many miraculous things in the story. It's, it's unbelievable how God is guiding them. And so he's leading them. He's leading them on this detour, and he leads them to an amazing campground. It's on the Red Sea. This beautiful, I mean, imagine just saying, like, here's the place where you'd want to go, like, camp by the sea. He takes the people to, to this place. The, the Red Sea is there. It's beautiful, and they're probably enjoying it, and life seems to be going okay. We like this idea of, of where God is taking us. This isn't so bad, even though we're not the promised land yet. But remember what I said uh, earlier in the series, that sometimes things get worse before they get better. Sometimes things get harder before they get easier. That's life on detour, and that happens again and again. And so as they're camped on the side of this beautiful sea, I can imagine them in the distance, maybe some little kid running up to his parents going, I think we've got a dust storm coming in the distance. And people start looking in the distance, and there's this giant cloud of, of dust and sand billowing up. Oh, no, I think it's an earthquake, and they hear the ground rumbling, and what do they see? It's Pharaoh's army. Pharaoh changed his mind. Pharaoh thought, what did I just do? My entire labor force, the building of my cities, all these things, I've got to go get the people. And he goes out and he orders his army, his chariots and his horsemen to go and to bring the people back. And there the people of God see Pharaoh approaching. And you can imagine the terror, but I think we have to realize, and this is another important lesson here, our old Pharaohs don't go down without a fight. They were free. They were finally released from the hand of Pharaoh. He was no longer under their control, but our old Pharaohs don't go down without a fight. I don't know if you can attest to this in your own life. I don't know if it's the voices in your head, things that have been said to you, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a sin, whether it's a group of friends, whether it's some habits in your life, whether it's just a path that you seem to continue to walk down, maybe a cyclical pattern in your family and you just can't seem to break it. Old Pharaohs don't go down without a fight, even though the people of God have already been set free. And the New Testament says this way in 1 Peter 5, 8, Stay alert! Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't think just because you're free, it's just a cakewalk from here on out. We continue to fight battles. We continue to fight challenges. What I've learned in my own life is sometimes after your greatest spiritual victories come some of your biggest spiritual challenges. Why? Because it's a spiritual warfare. Because God doesn't want, uh, Satan doesn't want you to experience the freedom that God has given you. And when you start feeling like you um, are tasting that freedom, you're experiencing what that's like, Satan doesn't want you to experience that. The old pharaohs come back. They want to fight. They want to hold on to what they have. We see that in our world today. Power wants to hold on to power and authority. Well, the Israelites, what's their reaction? Pharaoh coming on one side, the sea on the other, they're trapped. They're trapped. Where do they go? They panic. Anxiety, stress, fear. So much so, they're just saying to Moses, why'd you ever lead us out here? Why, let, let's just surrender. Let's go back. 
I, we don't want to die out here in the desert. At least we can go back and be slaves and at least know what we have. And it wasn't much, but what we had was, was predictable. And, and you go, would you trade that all back in? Would you really want to go back there? But isn't that human nature many times? That we go back to the very things that were not good for us, the things that held us back, and yet here they are being tempted to go back and wanting to do that. If you're in that situation like them, what, what are you supposed to do? They couldn't fight. They didn't have weaponry. They didn't have horses. They didn't have chariots. They're going to beat them with like a cooking spoon? I mean, what are you going to do? The sea's on the other side. We're not going to take a million people across the sea and swim. And what about all of our stuff? I mean, what do you do? Moses says this to them, Exodus 14, verse 13. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. That sounds easier said than done, right? Just stay calm? Well, Moses turned around and then he busted open his robe and showed them this. <laughs> Your Bible doesn't have these pictures? It's all <laughs> I mean, in this situation, you know, we laugh in this way, but that wasn't easy. You got an army ready to take you, you're trapped by the sea, and Moses is like, just stand calm, stay calm. Watch God rescue, just stand here. God's gonna do something for you. I think it's interesting after Moses said this, then God speaks, and here's what God says in, in the next verse. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. <laughs> Moses is like, stand, st stand still and just be strong. And God's like, Tell the people to get moving, but where, where are they supposed to go? He says, pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. I mean, if there's one story that many know about the Bible, it's the parting of the Red Sea, right? Where the water stood up. And I mean, I don't know what it looked like. We have this picture. I'm sure it was a lot wider. Just imagine this on a huge scale. But it's unbelievable that God said, I'm going to make a way. I want you to take a step towards the promised land. You don't know how it's going to happen. You don't see how it's going to happen in your life, but just take a step in that direction. Raise your hand. Trust me. Part the waters. Something they'd never experienced before. But God made a way. And he took the pillar of fire and he put it behind the, the people of God, separating Pharaoh's army from the people of God. And they began to march through. And what I love is that it says they walked through on dry ground. I love that little detail. I love that little detail. It's not just like the thing that's going to swallow you up, the thing that's going to drown you. I want you to actually walk through that, and you're going to see there is a way through. And not just that, I'm going to dry it up. And as the, the pillar of fire was protecting the, the people of God from the army getting them, that night it says a wind came blowing through and actually dried out the ground so they would have firm footing to take those next steps. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to walk through that and go, this like, this doesn't make sense. This defies anything we've ever experienced. This is insane. This is crazy. This is, how is this even happening? And yet God is guiding them through step by step by step, and they are making their way through this incredible, incredible uh, experience. And at one point then, the pillar of fire moves, and Pharaoh's army begins to pursue them. And as they're pursuing them, the people of God, I'm sure, are, are, are frightened what's happening. Are they, now they're taking advantage of the path through the water. But as it's going along, we begin to see that at some point, God said, close the waters. The people of God came through and the waters closed. And there was death. 
And it was the end of Pharaoh. It was the end of Pharaoh and his armies. And I'm imagining the people of God looking back over the sea now and just seeing these tranquil waters. And what had just been hours before, days before, chaos, fear, panic, looking like there's no way out, looking like there's no solution, and now there's just a calm. God had removed the threat. God had removed the barrier. And now it was like the promised lands in front of you. You look back and you see God closed that avenue. There's no going back. You're not going back there again. Begin to set your sights on what is ahead. I think about the, uh, the um, explorer Cortez, the Spanish conquistador, when he, the, the story that's told about him arriving in the early 1500s in Mexico, when they arrived to try to conquer the Aztec Empire, when they arrived with their ships, what's he known for saying? Burn the ships. <laughs> Burn the ships. Why did he say burn the ships? There's no going back. There's, get that out of your head. Get rid of that temptation. Get rid of that thought. Get rid of that fear. Once the ships are burned, you have to go forward. And it was like God was saying, I'm closing the waters behind you. You've got to go forward. I've taken care of that. Now you're going to learn to live free. It's a great old song, great old hymn. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Sing it, Diane. No, no turning back. No turning back. It says the, right, the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. Like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go in that direction. I'm going I'm to stop keeping one eye on, on what's behind me and the things that want to hold me back. I'm going to start setting my sights on what's ahead of me, and I want to move in that direction. Exodus 14.31 says, When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Now what we'll see and have already seen in the story is they experience amazing things and they put their faith in, 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 in God. But our faith needs to be renewed again and again and again. And even in this moment, you go, how could you just have been faithless? You were just faithless a little bit ago. But it's like us. Just because you one time made a commitment in faith or one time you said, God, I trust you, there's things in our lives that begin to pull us off. And it's okay and it's important to come to back and to renew and to say, God, yes, I trust you and I've just seen you work again. Forgive my unfaithfulness. God, your power is amazing. Allow me to follow you. And so we see here in this idea of breaking free, we see two things happen and it's this, that, that we need to let God guide and we need to watch God provide. We see this in this pattern here that God is guiding and God is providing. God is guiding, he's providing. He's not abandoning them, he's guiding them every step of the way. And they're seeing that, and it's allowed them to break free. But now, they've broken free, Pharaoh, the waters have closed. That chapter is done. Now they're moving forward. Now they have to learn how to live free. And so let's look at the second part of here now. How do you live free? It's one thing to break free, but now how do you live free? And so they now are on the other side of the Red Sea, and they make their way to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses first saw the burning bush and had this encounter with God, and it's really this, this holy place. And they end up camping there for about two years. Two years, that's another hard thing to go through, right? They just want to get to the promised land, but here they are for two years. Why such a long period of time? It took them two months just to get to the mountain, and now they spend two years there because God, again, is preparing them. He's saying, you have to learn how to live free. You have to understand what it's like. You don't know. This hasn't been handed down from generation to generation. This is a new day. And so you have to understand, it's going to look different, and I want to teach you, and I want to show you how to live free. 
And so while there's a lot more in the story, but the foundational part of this next part is Moses goes up to the mountain on Mount Sinai, and what does he come down with? (laughs) The Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments. And when you look at the Ten Commandments and we think about this this idea of, of God giving Moses these laws, and he gave him many, many other laws and rules and regulations to try to help the people understand how to live. And what that was going to be like, and I think we see this, and especially if we use the old English, I think, I think it was the original. I think this is the original ones right here. Um, the thou shalt um, was, was how it was worded. I think we see these and we say, and maybe there's a, there's a sense of like gravity, of heaviness, like these are the laws. Thou shalt not, or you shall die. And it feels heavy, and it feels strong, and, 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 and I think we look at that in our society today, and even having the, a display of the Ten Commandments as a point of political contention and religious contention, and, and, and what, what is you trying to say with that? This seems restrictive. This seems like it's trying to limit us. But you look at these laws, and you think about when did they come, and when did God give them, and now you look at them in the story, in the context of the story, and you realize that the people of God did not have a foundation for understanding how to live free, and this is how God is saying, you want to know what it means to live free? Let me help you and let me guide you and let me show you what it looks like to live free. That's not how we see the Ten Commandments today, is it? We think in terms of like, you know, freedom is no rules, no laws. Anarchy, chaos is actually what results. And even as a nation, we have, you know, we are a nation birthed in freedom, breaking away from tyranny and from oppression. And yet, what do we do when we come here? We set up laws. It's not a lawless nation. There's rules. And and so we think in terms of this when it comes to God, that he gave these not as a condition of his love. God didn't give him the laws and say, you know what, do this and I will love you. He said, do this and you'll be free. He said, because I love you, do this. That's very different, isn't it? Because I love you, do this. Because this is for your good. This is for your sake. This is for your benefit. I wonder if any of you ever, uh, how many of you have ever played an instrument, learned an instrument, at least learned an instrument? Learned. You don't play, maybe, but you learned, right? A lot of us have some exposure. Um, When you look at this next picture here, this is like uh, sheet music of just some some scales, right? I mean, it's pretty pretty basic. Whatever, you know, you go, oh, that keeps going up, right? And it's the scale, up and down, up and down. If you, anyone ever played scales, like piano, any other instrument, that's the best part of, of learning an instrument, isn't it? I mean, that's what you dreamed about when you learned about playing an instrument. I want to play scales. Scales is where it's at, man. I go to concerts all the time. This guy, you know, famous musician playing scales. There's nothing better than that, right? This isn't the goal, <laughs> This isn't the goal, but the scales are like the laws. Scales are like the rules of music. It's one example of how music functions and works, and yet it can seem so limiting and restricting. But where freedom arrives is when you can play beyond the scales, when you use those and you start saying, this is the music I want to make. And I use these laws and the freedom to create within that, the freedom to live within that, but the freedom isn't in the scales themselves. The scales give you that focus. And if we're always focused on the law instead of the freedom we miss out. I kind of picture maybe another example. If you're thinking in sports, like, you know, I'd love to play soccer. If my whole focus is always like what's on the sideline, mm, I wonder how I could play like on the other field. I wonder how, what it would look like if I could be out in the stands. I wonder what it, what it would be if I could just like pick up the ball with my hands and run it and throw it in the goal. Like if that was my whole focus all the time was these laws seem so restrictive, it'd be no fun to play the game. But the game is played when the rules are there and now we can create within that. Now we can enjoy and have fun 
whatever the scenario is. And that's what it is in this way too. And so we think about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> what are these Ten Commandments? So you have the first four, and the first four really focus on the vertical relationship, our relationship with God. And again, think about it from the idea of enslaved people, people who've come from a culture in Egypt where they were around multiple gods, where, and there were idols of other gods, other gods were worshipped, and God was saying, look, the foundation for your freedom is that you understand that these other gods are not gods at all. There is one God. And he's demonstrated his power. He's demonstrated his authority. You're not going to make other idols. You're not going to worship these other things. They have nothing for you. And you're going to honor this name this po- because there's power in the name of God. And then I think about this fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Imagine if you've worked seven days a week straight, 52 weeks a year, multiple years, and somebody says, you know what? Start taking a day off every week. God was saying to them, look, you're not going to be defined. Your value is not going to be defined by how many bricks you make and by your production and your worth and what your quota is and all that. You're going to have a day of rest because I understand you as a human being, as a person who needs to be recreated. And in that day, is going to be a day where you can focus on your relationship with God, where you're going to understand your worth and you're going to find that as you understand how you relate to God. And so we see these first four commands really helping both the relationship with God, the personal renewal. And then you look at the next six, and you see this is all about relating with people, relating with with one another, to have a harmonious community, a place where we can live and exist and and really treat one another in a way that, that allows us to live together. And so you see those laws, right? And it begins with honor your father and mother. The foundational unit of the society of, of building together is the family, how important that is. It's, a, it's the only command, commandment with a promise that your days will be long, that you do this and things will go well for you. Begin with that family unit. And now, right, don't kill. <laughs> don't murder others. Right? Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet right? These are things that we shouldn't do, and if we don't, if we can, I mean, it's not an oppressive list, let's be honest, (laughs) and there's life that can be found in that, and we look at this, and we go, Ten Commandments, how well are we doing with these? How well are we doing this as a society? Ten Commandments, we can't keep these Ten Commandments. We struggle with these Ten Commandments. Look look at us as a society, and I think, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay, that one's long gone. God, what God? God who? Multiple gods create your own God. You're your own God. This this is far out the window. Thou shalt not make any uh, graven images, right? I mean, we we may not have graven images. We have all kinds of other idols we worship. We even have a show called American Idol. Like, we make idols, right? It's about, you know, we, we worship stuff and things and material goods. The Lord's name in vain, understanding who God is. Well, that one's out the window. Sabbath, well, I mean, we might take a Sabbath, but it's for, you know, getting out to the lake, it's for, you know, you know sports, and it's for fishing, and it's not about worshiping God, and, and that's great, or you work yourself to death. It's not about focusing our heart and attention on God. Honoring father and mother, well, that's optional. If you want to, that's fine. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, yeah, that's still a good one. And yet... We think about abortion, we think about the number of lives that we as a society condone, the killing, hundreds of thousands. We struggle with these things. Thou shalt not lie, 
well, it's fine unless you're like cheating the government out of your taxes a little bit. That's fine there. And a couple of things here, stealing, cheating. Thou shalt not covet. That's the whole foundation of capitalism <laughs> right there. You, you, you got to have something you don't have yet. Right? You got you to want some other things. You got to be discontent with what you have versus being satisfied and finding your contentment and peace. We still struggle with these, with these commandments. What do we do with them? You know, God said, this isn't just about how to live, but it also is going to reveal something about who it is that you're worshiping and what's important and how we live together. But it's going to show you the sin in our lives. It's going to show you that there's a struggle here. When Jesus was asked about the commandments and which one's important, he summarized all these up in Matthew 27. He just said, the two commandments, right? You must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and strength, your mind. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. It's summed up in these ways. And it reminds us the continuing relationship between us and God, spiritually, and between us and others, that if we want to have freedom, it's not only enough to break free, but to live free, that there is a way for us to experience that. Now, we understand that it's not enough to just follow the law, to be bound to the law. Like I said in some of these examples, if you're only just focusing on the law, the freedom is in living beyond the law and looking and seeing Who's behind it? And Jesus came to fulfill the law, it says, that, that he said, and in Jesus is all the fulfillment, and in him we find the freedom. And so we look to him because we realize we can't ever obey the law fully. Because Jesus said, you know, if, even if you say to your brother, you know, and you call him a name and you have hate towards family, that, that's, that's like committing murder. <laughs> if you even look lustfully, you've committed adultery. I mean, he's just saying, look, there, there's something different. It's not just about living to the letter of the law. It's about being transformed, and that's when you begin to experience, and that's where you get to live in freedom. And so we have this breaking of the law and living free. Break, I mean, breaking free and living free. There's some old uh, theological words that we don't use much in the, in the church or speak about much, but it's justification and sanctification. Say that with me. Justification. justification. Sanctification. I had to have you say that with me, otherwise your, your eyes were about to glaze over. So, um, But that's what this really is. Justification is breaking free. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross when we just accept his grace and mercy and say, I am unworthy, I've, I'm a sinner. And we fall on his grace, and, and because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, he paid for our sins, and he said, you are free. You've been justified. You are now in right standing with God. That's justification. But if we just stop there, we forget about sanctification. And sanctification is becoming and growing in holiness. It's allowing more of God to fill our lives. That his Holy Spirit would change us and transform us and, 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 and help us to really live free. It's not just the checkbox, I'm done, Jesus died for my sins, and now I go on living however I want to live. Sanctification is the transforming process of becoming who God created us to be and learning to live free in that and in, in, in his grace, breaking free and living free. So as we think about what does this mean for us, let me just ask you, what are the pharaohs that are still haunting you and hunting you down? What is it, that thing? And it's, the funny thing is, it might be one thing for you and has, has no impact on somebody else. What is it for you? What is it where you are most threatened, where Satan can grab a hold of you and bring you down? I think we need to call that out and we need to fight that and ask God to free us from that. What sins keep rearing their ugly head? Hebrews 12.1 says this, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We keep getting tripped up. 
That's, that's not abnormal. <laughs> that's why it's addressed in the Bible. Saying, like, don't let that happen. God still wants us to, to, to live free. And, and just a couple more verses here that I think are so powerful. 2 Corinthians 3.17. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, what's there? There's freedom. And that's not what our world thinks, and that's not how many times we think. Is faith the restricting thing? Is the faith the thing that keeps us from experiencing life? No, life to the fullest. Where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Galatians 5 says it this way. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. It's all about freedom. How do we live free? How do we break free? How do we live free? God gives us the power to do that. He's the one who allows us the privilege of following him and maybe understanding there's detours in this life, but God, you're going to use those to shape me, to form me into who I am, but I'm not letting go of your promise. And though we have the fear, and maybe you've got some old pharaohs that want to pull you back in, God wants to say, take a step forward. Walk towards your promise. Watch me part the waters for you. Let's bow in prayer this morning. I just want you to reflect on what you relate to in the story today. Do you feel like you're still between Pharaoh and the sea, panicking, being tempted just to go back and throw in the towel and say, I'm just going to go back to whatever was holding me captive before. I give in. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe you take that step of faith, that step of courage that steps into the waters and watches the sea part before you and trust in God. Maybe you're at the foot of Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments have been shared and you just go, and maybe you're struggling yourself saying, why does this feel so restricting or why am I feeling like faith is something that's holding me back? Maybe you ask God today to help you see something different, that there's freedom found in him. And that he gives us these guidelines not as a condition of his love, but because he loves us, that you would receive that today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we aren't bound anymore, that we can live free, that though we once were captive, that you make a way out. And Father, thank you for the story as we watch the, the Hebrew people having to learn to trust you, even when there's detours in their way, things that they couldn't see or for, for know, but God, you knew. And Father, you made a way through the dry ground. You freed them from their captivity, from their slavery. And now, God, you are teaching them how to live free. Father, we still need to learn how to live free. It's a lifelong process of discovering and learning what it means to find that freedom in you, not to always look to the edges, always look to escape or look to see where the boundary is, God, but to fix our eyes on you and to understand, God, that in following you, there's peace, there's freedom. There's right relationship with you. There's right relationship with those around us. Father, guide us as a people. Guide us as a nation. And Father, guide us as individuals here today and as a church serving you that we would walk in that freedom. And Father, if there are any here today, any that hear this message, God, that aren't experiencing that freedom, Father, I pray once and for all that you would defeat those pharaohs that are coming to haunt them down. 
that you would break that bind, that you would just allow them to experience new life and freedom in you, that they can be a new creation. And Father, help us to walk in that hope and in that promise. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.